RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Boy, that came around quick. Monday again already. Monday is our Health Hacks uh, day here at RCR with Dr. Glenn Davies of ReversalNZ.co.nz, and he joins me again. Good to have you back, Glenn. It's fantastic to have you, Paul. Enjoy it. I really enjoy our Mondays. Yeah, so do I. I learn a lot, and um, oh, I realize how wrong I've been doing things. <laughs> but it's better late than never, okay, to clean up your act. So last week we were talking about food. What is food? which was like a sort of, yeah, I mean, it's a, a weird question, but you've, you've kind of, I mean, we know what food is, but I think we know a lot more about food. What did you say? Anything that flies, swims, or what was the other one? Walks. Grows, grows. Walks, walks, flies, swims, or grows. That's right. Yeah, that is food. And um, a, uh, a bit of uh, feedback came back after that program. I know you've got uh, one in hand. Uh, I might just start off with this one. And uh, this came in um, uh, regards uh, what we're talking about in a roundabout way. Paul, could you ask Glenn, if someone has inflammatory bowel condition and might not absorb the nutrients necessary from food, what supplements would he consider might be prudent to maintain optimal levels of micronutrients, glutamine, vitamin D, magnesium, etc.? Fiona wrote that. Yeah, so Fiona, it's a fantastic question. It's something I've been thinking about a lot. And... Paul and I were just discussing your question and we're going to do a show sort of dedicated to supplements. But this is this is my thought. If you have any health condition or if you are on a restricted diet, I think you need to be considering supplements. If you are well and you're on a Mediterranean type diet, you probably don't need to take supplements. So that's kind of where where I sort of sit on it. And a majority of people, well, adults, will have some issue that may be affecting their absorption or they may be needing to use a medical nutrition therapy, in which case I think they should consider supplements. And in your case with inflammatory bowel disease, uh, I would be suggesting supplements. But we'll go into more detail when we cover that in a subsequent show. Okay. And I think uh, that'll be uh, of interest because a lot of people, they do take supplements, don't they? It's very yeah. common. Yeah. So, okay, well, why, why don't we um, dedicate – we'll do that in two weeks' time then. Two Paul. weeks. Give you time to do a deep dive and get and, and uh, relearn everything you've already learned again for the program. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So uh, this episode of Health Hacks is about your annual checkup. Yes, it's okay. about your annual checkup. Warrant of fitness, I think I've heard people refer to it as. My warrant. Yeah. yeah, so the place I want to start is I think there's quite a discrepancy between what you are expecting from your checkup and what your doctor is expecting to deliver. And I think because of that different way of viewing it, there's probably some dissatisfaction on both sides. And what I'm um, wanting to look at here is how do we sort of make it work for both you as the client and the doctor? So this follows on really nicely from our discussion about germ theory and terrain theory. So 
I think you, in terms of your expectation, are working on a terrain theory model. You're sort of going to the doctor. You know me well. We have a relationship. I want to have a really thorough checkup, and I want any risk factors identified and then any problems mitigated and discussed. So I, I think that's where you as a client are coming from. However, and, and I'm not suggesting this is true of, of every situation, but I think many doctors are working in the germ theory mode and they're going, look, there's nothing wrong with you. Why are you here? You know, I, I fix diseases and kill germs. What, what are you doing here? Because you're well. And, and that's where I think this, this tension uh, sort of comes about. And I'm wanting in this discussion today, Paul, that we can sort of mitigate that tension and make it work for both you as a client and for the doctor and sort of recognise where that uh, philosophical difference comes from. Because the patient's there is going there as a preventative measure, right? You're trying to get ahead of something if there's anything, um, exactly. not trying to find out too far down the track. Exactly. Yeah, and that's the fence at the top of the hill versus the ambulance at the bottom. And unfortunately, I think primary healthcare is largely um, functioning in that ambulance at the bottom of the cliff model, purely because there's so much demand. The, the people who are sick now are the ones which are using up the time and the resources, and there's not much time and energy left over to be the fence at the top of the cliff, which is where I believe primary care should be focusing. Right. Okay, so we understand where the two parties are coming from. So how does that work in the room then? Okay, well, this is my suggestion, is I suggest as the client be prepared. And time is the issue for the doctor. Doctors will always be time pressured. So how can we uh, make this process more efficient? And my idea is that we write some things down at the beginning uh, and we hand those to the doctor or the nurse practitioner that you're seeing to, to make this run in a more time efficient uh, manner. So this is what I would suggest you do. So the first thing is be clear about why you're there and what your priority is. Um, so write that down. And the second. Sorry, what would that be though? Because I would um, say I need. I want to make sure that I've got no, nothing sort of creeping up on me, and that I've maintained a level since the last time I had a a checkup. Presumably, yeah. there was another time. Well, the commonest one is my wife sent me. Um, okay. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know why I'm here, but my my wife sent me. That that's a really common one, but. Often I find that there is a little bit of a, a niggle in the background. My uncle has just been diagnosed with prostate cancer, and that's what I'm particularly worried right. about. Okay, so there's something that, 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 that there's uh, you know like a something that that forces them in a way to have to maybe go. Yeah. Another one is I've just received my bowel screening um, kit in the mail. Do I need to do it? Um, <laughs> okay. Or or I'm something's changed. You know, I'm, I'm now getting up twice at night to pass urine, uh, whereas I didn't. Or um, I think I might be perimenopausal. You know, I, I think there's usually something 
which has a trigger us in, a trigger and to make sure that that is covered so you might say to the doctor hey look i feel pretty good but i am a little bit worried about the fact that i'm now getting up twice at night to pass urine that might yep. be what you write down as, as the thing you definitely want covered and that saves time for you trying to to get to that anyway though yeah. you know um because i think that's a lot of psychology is you kind of know you've got something, but you want the the other person to discover it. Yes, that's right. And and I think that's part of this tension is, you know, you have a relationship with your doctor. They know you well. They will pick this up. It's, it's a little bit like that male-female relationship um, thing, you know, like I expect my partner to know what I want and need without me saying it. Yeah. I think this doctor-patient relationships a little bit like that. And you do have to state it. You do have to be clear. You do, because the likelihood is they're not going to read your mind. No, well, that's usually the way. Yeah. 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 Unless the doctor doctor is psychic. That's right. And, and I think there aren't many of us that are psychic, although we do have, I think, very good intuition. Yeah. Well, you'd, and you'd, 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 you'd gain that over time. Not saying that you didn't have it as a default, but, you'd surely be able to read yes but i think faces, the point, signs yeah yeah the point i'm making is don't depend on your doctor to do that it puts too much pressure on them so yeah if there is something you're particularly concerned about that has been as you said the trigger write that down and then the second thing is write down any medications you're taking and doses now your doctor will know that but they won't know the supplements that you're taking so I think that's something to write down. And it is important because there's interactions between supplements and medications. Um, so write that down, then allergies. Um, it's really important that your doctor knows all the things that you're allergic to, particularly medications. And then this part's important, past history. You know, right. so the concussions you've had in the past, the injuries you've had in the past, uh, any admissions to hospital, any significant illnesses, write them down. Your doctor probably has most of this information, but it's a great opportunity to update it. Yes. Right. Um, nice. And then... What about family history too? Past yeah, family history? Because your member of your family might not be part of that yeah. um, that practice. Yeah, and, and that's really the key for this um, checkup process is that you write down the family history and particularly things that may be hereditary and we're particularly thinking about ischemic heart disease or um, atherosclerotic disease, which is heart attacks and strokes, and particularly if that occurred at an early age, less than the age of 60. So if you have a close family member with a heart attack earlier than age 60, that probably puts you at higher risk of heart disease. Right. So an early family history, and particularly if it's in more than one family member. So that's okay. really important. Yep. All right. And then the second thing is cancers, because some cancers have a hereditary component to them. You know, so I'm thinking of breast cancer, bowel cancer, prostate cancer. You know, if, if your father had um, prostate cancer, Paul, you would probably be at slightly higher risk of having it. If your mother had breast cancer uh, and you're a woman, you would be at higher risk of breast cancer. So that's important to know. No to both, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, and then some of these inflammatory conditions and neurological conditions 
uh, I think they need to be mentioned and that might not be in your doctor's uh, history. Like you say, if that person is not known to the doctor. Well, when you say neurological conditions, what what do you mean when you say that? Um, I'm thinking of some of these hereditary uh, neurological conditions like motor neurone disease, for example. So that, that would be rare, uh, but you know, that would be important things right. to know. That's, that's kind of the category you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. And then probably the next really important thing and worth writing down is social history. So that is what does your food look like? So yeah. I, I have every second uh, meal at McDonald's uh, is very different from um, I cook all my food from scratch at home. But probably more realistic is I'm on the road a lot with my job yeah. uh, and I'm often having to stop and buy takeaways or I often stay away from home. I'm a truck driver, for example. Often I spend the night at a hotel and I eat uh, at the restaurant. You know, that, yeah. that kind of stuff is really important to know. Um, shift work is really important to know. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. Yeah. And particularly, um, you know, your job, for example, you're kind of partially nocturnal, I understand. You know, that that has quite an impact. But people who do shift work where they might do a night shift and then a day shift and then an afternoon shift, that's really, really stressful. And your doctor needs to know that. I used to do that in radio. And um, I um, remember finding out that people who who worked shift work, I don't know if it was just overnight, but maybe as you'd explained, had a, had a higher rate of cancer. Yeah, it's it's actually very stressful on the body. And I think it's a young person's game, that kind of work. You're far better to do a continuous night shift than you are to do that, you know, 12 hours of night shift, 12 hours of morning shift, 12 hours of afternoon shift. You know how often in um, uh, an industry there's that type of shift pattern? Yeah. And even though you get four days off to recover, it's 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 a challenge. So, you know, your doctor needs to know about that. And then exercise. Um, how often are you able to exercise? What do you do? Um, that's, that's important stuff. Do you smoke? Do you vape? Um, do you drink alcohol? And if you do, how much? So um, my thought is, why not write all that down? So rather than your doctor having to ask that, let's have it all written down to save to save some time. Yeah, because in the verbal exchange, if you're ashamed of anything, you might minimise. Yeah, so, so this is a really good question. Um, how much alcohol is too much? The answer is, if you drink more than your doctor, you're drinking too much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, you have to ask, how much do you drink then? Tell me, and, and I'll tell you how much I do. No, but very, you know, people are self-conscious about not doing the right thing, and they know it. And and you kind of have to lay the cards on the table in these situations, right? And also, when you think about it, um, sometimes you might underestimate or overestimate. If you're preparing for this consultation, um, you can probably be more realistic by writing it down. Have you had to deal with hypochondriacs? Um, I actually find very, very few people are hypochondriacs. I think uh, people are often anxious about their health and they're often wanting to be heard. And they, in order to be heard, they may be more forceful with the way they present. Right, it. which could be I, mistaken for that, yeah. Yeah, I, I find that very few people are, are hypochondriacs. 
Okay. That's interesting. Just thought I'd ask. Okay. Yeah. And then the final um, component in the history is systems review. So it's basically just doing a, a scan around your body and thinking, how's my heart? How are my lungs? How's my gut? Do I have any urine, urine issues? How's my joints? How's my skin? How's my vision, hearing? Uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. And that identifies, you know, uh, I've got an old rugby injury affecting my knee and now it's actually affecting the way I walk. You know, so that's the review of systems. And that's usually the final part of history. And the importance about this is 90% of the diagnosis is based on history. Only 10% is based on the examination. So history is the key part. Wow. Okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. And then we would move on to the examination and and what would we expect uh, from an examination as part of a checkup? And I think if we've created a little bit more time, uh, we could expect a little bit more. So we would expect our, our pulse to be taken. We'd expect the blood pressure to be taken. Uh, we would expect our heart to be listened to. We're particularly listening for heart murmurs. Um, we'd probably expect a listen to the lungs, uh, listening for wheezing um, particularly, um, a feel of the tummy. And when the doctor's feeling your tummy, they're, they're feeling for enlargement of the liver or tenderness of the liver, tenderness over the stomach, which is, you know, where your ribs sort of go up in the centre there? Yep. It sort of sits in there. And sort of tenderness there can imply gastritis or inflammation of the stomach. We're then moving across to the left, which is where the spleen sits. The kidneys, uh, most people are a bit uncertain where their kidneys are, but sort of halfway down in the centre and at the back, uh, you'd feel the kidney. And then the rest of it, you're sort of feeling for, you know, any tenderness in the bowel and uh, lumps. So that's kind of the tummy. And then I think the rest of the examination would be guided by the history. You know, so if you said oh, you know, my, I'm having problems with my bladder. You might have a feel around just above the pubic bone there for the bladder, you know, um, and a skin check. That's probably the other important thing, living in New Zealand and Australia. So um, particularly if you had any lesions that you're worried about, but a skin check, particularly on the sun-exposed places like the back of the hand and the face. So that okay. would sort of be your exam. And then you'd be um, moving on to blood tests and any specific tests. So if the history suggested a particular problem with the lungs, there would be specific tests on the lungs, et cetera, et cetera. But we'd probably now be moving on to blood tests. So what would you expect on that blood test form? So the first thing's a full blood count. That checks for anemia and white cells, which look for infection and allergies. So you'd probably get a full blood count. You'd probably- Is that literally counted under the microscope? Is that how that works? I think in the old days, but I think it's all automated nowadays. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, in the old days, they, they would have counted them. Yeah, wow. There must have been a few. Yeah. All right. And then iron. Um, so particularly menstruating women, you would, um, iron deficiency is very common. In um, men, we're more seeing high iron levels, which is interesting. So, so iron, and the particular one we're after is ferritin, which is stored iron. We would 
probably have a look at the renal function, so how well the kidneys are looking, and then the liver. Now, that's really interesting because we are seeing very, very commonly now fatty liver disease or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and we pick that up in the liver function tests. So ALT, AST might be raised, and then GGT, that can be part of this non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, or it can relate to drinking too much alcohol. So um, you can see how even with three tests or four tests, we're actually starting to get quite a picture of people's health. And you put that also with your physical examination. So would you expect to see some enlargement there of the liver if there were, how how sensitive is that, um, you know, doing that physical check? What sort of resolution can you feel down to? incredibly insensitive most most of that information would come from the history and the lab test right the um the exam is pretty insensitive in most cases okay gotcha and then we're up to our diabetes screen so hba1c it stands for hemoglobin a1c and it's the amount of glucose that gets stuck to the hemoglobin molecule or to the red blood cell and it's the screening test for diabetes and pre-diabetes So you'd expect that. And then if we were suspicious of prediabetes or metabolic syndrome, which is high insulin levels, we might expect a insulin to be tested, a fasting insulin, and another test called a fasting C-peptide. So it works like this. Every time an insulin is produced, it's coupled to a C-peptide. When they cleave, the insulin goes off and does what insulin does, which is moving glucose into the cell. And that C-peptide, I'm sure it has got a function, but I view it as something that I can measure to measure people's level of insulin resistance. I love love that test. And this for me is picking up pre-pre-diabetes. This is the fence at the top of the cliff. So I love that test, a fasting C-peptide. And then fasting lipids. So this is cholesterol and triglycerides. And I'm particularly looking at the triglyceride level because that um, is telling me how much carbohydrate is getting turned into fat by the liver and moved into the blood. So this is the amount of fat that we are making from excess carbs. So you've probably heard me talk about this quite a few times already. Yep. Um, This to me is really the key test uh, in a checkup is the fasting triglyceride. So, and it must be done fasting for it to be relevant. If it's not done fasting, we're picking up the dietary fat that we've eaten as well as the dietary fat that we make. Mm. If it's fasting, it's just the dietary fat that we make. So I love that test. When you say fasting, how long is that? uh, That's an overnight fast. So you have your dinner at night and you go into the lab and have it done the next morning. Okay, that's nothing really. Yeah, that's yep. pretty easy. Before breakfast. Yeah. Um, we, we don't have breakfast, though, do we? That's right. So, so, yeah, you, you've got all so the no, no worries at all. Okay. And then hormones. So I think I think if we're, tr- if we're thinking about hormones being the key to health, you know, we're talking about insulin, um, which is the, the measure of metabolic health. We're also thinking of cortisol, which relates to stress and previous trauma, you know, and I think those are two really important hormones. And for men, testosterone. And for some reason, and I'm not sure exactly why, 
I'm picking up a lot of low testosterone levels at the moment. It may relate to insulin resistance. Yeah. I, I suspect that's the reason, um, but it may also relate to stress levels as well. But testosterone levels tend to be quite low at the moment. Uh, and I love testing the testosterone in men and do it um, sort of first thing in the morning around 8 a.m. Along, along with the cortisol. Cortisol is the stress hormone. Um, in women, there's a relationship between progesterone and cortisone. You know, so again, I'm getting an impression of this hormonal profile with this type of testing. So I love testosterone and cortisol measurements. When you say that testosterone levels are, well, lower, is that what you're saying? Lower than historical? Yes. What, what sort of, because you've been doing this a while, what sort of period of time have has that level come down? Yeah, great question. I I only tested testosterone occasionally in the past when I suspected a problem, and now I'm doing it more as a screening or a wellness right. test. and. You know, they talk about normal ranges. I, I hope I get this rest because, I'm, right, I'm doing it from memory from sort of like 9 through to 45, I, if I'm recalling correctly. And I'm seeing a lot of 10s, 10s and 11s, which is right down the bottom yeah, of the right normal the, range. Yeah. yeah. So something's changed. Something, Something's really different. So, yeah, measuring testosterone. And for men, testosterone, of course, creates um drive Men. enthusiasm vigor you know yeah. and it's and energy so a lot of those characteristics that we we want as men i wonder how much of that we're lacking due to this low testosterone is that why men are coming across so defeated now yeah um, i'm not sure my I words could, you don't have to agree yeah. but you know uh, what i mean but i'm not sure i could quote the reason, but potentially, yes, it, it could be. Yeah, the, the sort of the the mass the the man manliness. I'm just thinking about you know earlier days, you know <clears throat> those yeah. all blacks back in the day. You know that they were sort of like the poster children of testosterone laden Kiwi men. Yeah, uh, the invincible lifting fence posts and things. You know. Yeah, Colin Meads, that sort of thing. That's and the one. Yeah, uh, it would. It would take um it would be actually a really good thing to research, but I'm certainly noticing that. And okay, interesting. If we pick it up, I think it's worth looking for the reason. Can can you yeah. restore the levels? Yes. So the first thing um I do is I look at the minerals that are needed to make the testosterone. And I often find zinc is low. So sometimes just by replacing uh, zinc. For example, I see the levels rise and protein's important. Uh, but sometimes I will also prescribe testosterone replacement uh, when levels are really low or refer to an endocrinologist if I'm suspecting that there's, you know, more of a global hormone production yeah. problem explaining it. And do they notice the difference? Do they feel the difference, do you think, once yeah. the levels yes. go back up? Okay. Yeah, dramatically, dramatically different. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Thanks. Don't want to get hung up on testosterone, but it's just interesting, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, we could do a whole talk on that, couldn't we? Maybe we should. And then vitamin status. Now, through standard laboratory testing, you don't have the ability to test every mineral, mineral and every vitamin. I wish we could, but we can get a few clues about mineral status and vitamin status. So 
we can test zinc and selenium and iron and the B vitamins, so vitamin B12 and folic acid. It gives me an impression of how well people are absorbing minerals. And if I'm seeing a lot of low mineral status, I wonder about gut health, I wonder about absorption, uh, and I would certainly be talking about a mineral supplement. And if I say, see low levels of both B12 and folic acid, I'm thinking about vitamin absorption because your B12 tends to come from your animal products and your folic acid is the B vitamin that tends to come from plants. So I get a bit of a picture of how well people are eating from those. What, what, when things. you're measuring folic acid, because we, we've talked about this in the last week, are you, me are you measuring the synthetic folic <laughs> acid or are you... Uh, or are you measuring the what is it the the folate is that the um, yeah. natural that you must be measuring because we're measuring what's in the body so we yeah. must be measuring the the natural form the natural one yeah which is not always the one that we're replacing so there's some complexity in that and um, I'll do a little bit of revision on that before we cover it because um, I want to get that right but. The pharmaceutical one doesn't always replace the natural one, yeah. but I'll, I'll give you more detail on, on okay. that once I've, All good. once I've reviewed that. Now, thyroid function. This is this is really important, and the screening test is called thyroid stimulating hormone or TSH, but we can also measure T4, which is the um, the hormone that the active one, the inactive one, and T3 is made from the active one. Generally, in a checkup, if unless we're suspecting an underactive or an overactive thyroid, we'll just do TSH. But we can check T4 and T3 when we drill down to that next level of detail. Uh, T4 is the pro hormone, and T3 is the active hormone. So there's a lot more detail we can get in that area. But I suspect many people are hypothyroid, have an underactive thyroid. Uh, and I'll drill down a little bit further if that TSH is not between sort of 0.5 and 2. I don't go all the way up to 4 or 5, which the normal range um, states. I want to know a bit more detail if it's above 2. So that's looking for hypothyroidism. And then another really important one CRP, which stands for C-reactive protein, and it measures inflammation. And inflammation is probably behind most chronic health conditions, along with high insulin levels. So I'm really interested in that CRP. Um, it's also linked to early heart disease, interestingly. So see how um, that hormonal health and inflammation, I'm getting a picture combined yeah. with my um, my history. And then for men, uh, PSA, which stands for prostate-specific antigen, that's the screening test for both prostate cancer and for an enlarged prostate. So that's a really important screening test. And then any other special tests based on history. And that's kind of where I would end up in that consultations, because remember, it's only... It's only sort of 15 minutes. But if I'd identified palpitations, we might do an ECG. We would also look to see all the screening is up to date. So for one, that's uh, your breast screening test, the mammogram, the cervical smear. Uh, and for men, 
do we need to do the digital rectal examination yeah. as part of that screening test, or would we do it if there was uh, PSA an indication, yeah. yeah, a high PSA or an indication of an enlarged prostate? I think that's a discussion. It's not something that um, that men like having done, and also I think it puts people off going. So, is it reasonable to do the PSA first? and then consider whether it needs to be taken. Yeah, further. I think you want a bit more evidence, don't you, <laughs> before you get to that stage maybe. I don't know. I think um, I think the ideal world, you would have um, the PSA and the digital digital rectal examination, yeah. but that can be negotiated. Well, get over time. yourself, folks, because, you know, it's all for a good cause, right? And Yeah. Just but close then, your eyes and think of something. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't want to put men off by thinking that they have to have that and no. therefore they don't come. But don't be too self-conscious about it. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And then I think that's the probably the end of, of that first consult. And then I would ask to come back to put it all together in a subsequent consultation when the lab tests are back. So you would put it all together with the lab tests and you would identify where the problems might be. So for example, you might have um, metabolic syndrome or insulin resistance, which is high blood pressure and high insulin levels and maybe some pre-diabetes. So that's where you'd focus that follow-up appointment. Actually, really good saying, how do you know that you've got insulin resistance? If you walk into a wall and your tummy is the first thing that hits, uh, you've probably got insulin resistance. So um, it's an experiment that's worth doing. Um, if, you're, if you can do that now, stand up, um, walk into a wall, and I think it should be your nose or your feet that um, hit first. It's not supposed to be your belly. Okay, that's a real <laughs> easy thing to do. Real yeah. easy thing to do. Can I ask you a question about inflammation? Because you hear that all the time, but I'm trying to visualize what that actually is. Is that the, just things like literally inflamed? like sort of puffed yeah. up and bigger than they should be. Uh, what does that actually mean? And, and to what level are we talking about? We're right down to cells here, are we? Yeah, and when when inflammation is discussed in clinical papers, there's a whole lot of things which are measured. Um, um, oh, I'm going to struggle. There's tissue necrosis factor one. There's... Uh, interleukin one and interleukin two. There's there's a, a whole variety of biochemical tests which there's probably at least ten which would be reported in a clinical study that would reflect inflammation. The C-reactive protein is the one that we have that represents all those other ones. And how would you feel that in your body? It might reflect as low energy. It might reflect as brain fog. It might reflect as um, sore joints or sore muscles. You know, that's so C-reactive protein is your clue that you need to go to that next level of, of looking to see what the cause is. Uh, there's one called polymyalgia rheumatica, which um, affects people's muscles, particularly the shoulders and around the, the hips particularly causes stiffness and pain in the morning, and that's reflected by uh, a high C-reactive protein. There's fibromyalgia, polymyositis, you know, um, there's different forms of arthritis. It's that next level down 
you get the history that gives you the clue, the blood test which confirms it, and then you dig down and investigate at that next level. Yeah. Okay. Well, that um, takes us through all the steps, really, um, and helps us better understand. Um, is there anything more to add to what you've just um, told us about? No, but but just to summarise, think that you and your doctor might be on a slightly different page with this. How can you help your doctor in this process so that you are getting from this what you want? I think the key is to write it down and save some time and have an idea what blood tests you might like so that um, if it's not on there, you could say, oh, have you added the C-reactive protein um, or, you know, you know, I am worried about my thyroid. Could we do the T3 and the T4 as well? It's sort of, I guess it's the preparation that you go in with before, instead of just turning up and going, oh, can I have a warrant of fitness? And it's a bit like taking your car to the um, in for a service. You might go, yeah, there's a there's a little bit of a noise when I turn towards the left. And I yeah. don't, I don't think the indicator is working. You know, you've kind of done a little bit of preparation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's the idea. Yeah, yeah. And um, in terms of the the relationship between the the doctor and the patient, um, I guess from the patient's point of view, don't don't be too submissive, right? Yeah, and don't expect the doctor to mind read. And even though yeah. you know each other, another thing that happens. When you know each other really, really well, it, it, you tend to become quite good friends and you sort of end up talking about the family or the yeah. pets or yeah. fishing and you, yeah. you kind of go, oh, now why are you here? And there's sort of like two minutes, two yeah. minutes left over. And, yeah. you know, and that is the ideal relationship between a, a GP. And yeah, but time's a, always a factor, right? So use the time wisely. Maximise yeah. the time. That's the point. Exactly. Yeah. But still talk about fishing too. Yeah, right. If there's any time left over. Exactly. <laughs> and if you're really healthy, you'll have more time. Indeed. Because you won't need to go through so many tests, probably. All right. Well, that was really interesting. I felt like I was in the room. Okay. Yeah. Well, at the end of that process, you're extremely healthy, Paul. Yeah, thank you. Can you do it over the um the camera? No. Uh, I suppose one day with sensors and everything, maybe that will be possible. Yeah, well, you do have a lot of these um, wearables that yep. transmit quite a lot of that information. So, yeah, definitely you could do it over Zoom. Yep. Yeah. All right. So you're going to think about what we're going to talk about um, next week. We are going to do supplements, but I, I, I sort of picked up from the way you, you talked about that that you probably need to get across quite a bit of detail for that because there's so many. Yeah, uh, give me a couple of weeks to think about that one and I'll get back to you with what we'll talk about next week. Okay, and we'll tell the folks. Dr. Glenn Davies, our health hacks from reversalnz.co.nz. Thank you again, Glenn. We'll see you next Monday. Thank you, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.